Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello and welcome to Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. And if you're joining us for the first time, Gaze at the National Parks is a podcast that explores the trails of America's national parks. One hiking trail in one national park, one park at a time. In between our full-length episodes, which explore these trails, we have trail mix episodes. These episodes cover a variety of topics related to the national parks and the environment, and sometimes that means special guests. You've heard us mention her name many times. That's right, everyone. The Becky Lomax is with us on the show today. We first met Becky Lomax on a Zoom call with other outdoors creators. We kept in touch and that led us to hiking with Becky and many of her beautiful friends and family in the land also called Glacier National Park in Montana. Becky is the author of many moon travel guides, including the Best of Glacier, Banff, and Jasper Guide, the U.S. and Canadian Rocky Mountains Road Trip Guide, the Yellowstone and Grand Teton Guide, the Best of Yellowstone and Grand Teton Guide, the Glacier National Park Guide, and the Moon USA National Parks Guide to the 63 National Parks. She has also published essays and stories in magazines like Smithsonian and Backpacker. In addition to writing about hiking trails, historic lodges, and roads, she is an advocate for conserving wild spaces. As a child, she grew up hiking in the lands known as Olympic National Park, North Cascades National Park, and Mount Rainier National Park, where her dad used to serve as a ranger. And during college, she worked as a guide in Glacier National Park. In addition to these things, and we speak from personal experience, she is instant family. A warm soul whose kindness and generosity can be felt from everyone around her. As all her friends told us, Becky is the kindest person that they know, and we couldn't agree more. And recently, we were able to sit down with Becky, catch up, and chat about everything Glacier National Park and beyond. Whoops. We hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Hello! Hello! So it's good, to, good see to see you. Wonderful to see you guys too. Look, it's the view that we just were talking we about. We were literally just talking about that view behind you. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 Isn't that the view from Many Glacier when you're headed up to up Grinnell? Grinnell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Grinnell viewpoint. It's so good to see you. It's, it's great to see, see you too. Say, how are you doing? How's it going? How you been? Really good. We're in the throes of spring, which is stupid here because, you know. <laughs> 
one day we can go hiking. Now mm -hmm. it's snowing. And so now it's got to be put the skis or snowshoes back on. And yeah, oh, so it's wow. goofy, goofy, okay. goofy time to plan stuff. Sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, sure being in California made that a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually a really nice getaway. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. How was it? Oh, I loved it. And, you know, I think my favorite parts this time were Death Valley. I just... Ugh, it was prime because it was it was 71 degrees. It was lovely, you know, for hiking everything there. And then Pinnacles, we got to see condors super <gasps> close up. No way. way. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? How was that? Oh, well, when they first flew up to us, we were right at a saddle. We're just kind of eating something. And this condor comes flying low right over our heads. And the shadow was huge. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. I mean, nine and a half foot wingspan. So it's like, whoa. <laughs> and then we yeah. went up into the pinnacles and watched a pair of them for probably 30 minutes up there. They were just right above us. It was really cool. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. I want to still, since all of us were hiking together, I yeah. have finally decided to no longer deny a part of myself, which is that I am a birder through and through. <gasps> so, yeah. <laughs> so, like, so I have, I fully embraced the journey of the birders. So hearing that you saw California condors, I'm like, ah, <laughs> I want to see them so yeah. bad. Uh, yeah. I didn't get to see them last time I was at that park, but this time it was good. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. That's awesome. You were in Redwoods too, or no? Yes. Yeah. You, Redwoods you were like really all good. over the place. Well, we kind of just hit every park we yeah. could that wasn't yeah. snowbound. You know, I live in cruising. snow. We have yeah, enough. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Right. That's awesome. Nice yeah. to stretch the legs for a bit, too. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Mm. On dry ground. <laughs> On dry ground. On de yes. desert. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. some cases. Yeah. That's awesome. So first, how are all of your friends that we were able to meet? They're all doing great. <laughs> Cynthia is here. Um, she's doing great. And we were, yeah, we just went snowshoeing two days ago and hiking about five days ago and we're supposed to hike tomorrow but we'll see what all this snow is doing so is spring typically as kind of mishmashy as this every year out there where like when do you oh. truly stop seeing like when's it like <laughs> typical obviously this changes year to year but when would you say you're typically out of like the range of snow on a given day is it like more like may where you would stop seeing snow or where we live we would probably stop seeing it by the end of this month but it's mm -hmm. what'll happen this month is it'll show up like it is today, it'll be gone in a couple days, you know, because yeah. it'll melt off. Sure. It's not doing the pile up. That's already melted. Up high in the park, that'll still keep getting snow. And the interesting thing is this is when snow plowing starts. April 1st is usually the launch of that. New snowfall, especially in spring, is heavy and wet. It's capacity to create avalanches that are destructive is much, much more. So that creates problems for the crew. And because of the elevation, you guys have been up the sun road a bunch and know how high you get there. And because of that elevation, the avalanches will be still coming down all through May and sometimes into June. Wow. They're wet slab avalanches often, not the drier, loose snow ones. And so they're pretty destructive. Yeah, and that true. makes it really difficult for plowing because they plow up the road. Then the avalanches come down, they have to plow themselves out. And sometimes the avalanches rip out again, if they're really bad, 
you know, rip out pieces of the road or the guard wall and things like that. So it's yeah. a, it's, it's a really kind of long process, that whole plowing thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's it sounds, natural. yeah, that kind of like season of unpredictability too. Um, not only just with the weather, but with, you know, what the snow on the ground is going to do. And then, you know, when you're going to see any sort of transition into like more spring and summer temperatures, but it seems like that has been coming sooner and sooner, or at least that the winters are not producing as much and not doing what they used to. Correct. Yeah, yeah. we're definitely, spring is definitely a couple weeks shorter than it was, you know, 50 years ago here. That affects the whole gamut of just, we can get into lower elevation trails earlier, of course, because they melt out, but it creates a whole different issue of problems with like plowing the going to the sun road. And especially Dusty's favorite part <laughs> between Logan Pass, you know, going down and back up the west side, going through the loop and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's where between the loop and Logan Pass, there's like 60 avalanche swaths where they come down and they can just, you know, they'll just rip all spring long. And that's why Glacier can never predict we're going to open up this day. (laughs) It's, it's, they can usually, when they get within about 10 days, they can usually predict when it's going to open. That's all based on plowing and weather and getting all the guardrails back up and the works. Because you were telling us about how the guardrails are built to be removed and then put back on. Yeah, some of them. The ones that are wooden, that look like wooden logs, Mm -hmm. are on metal metal posts that they bolt in and take out every year. And those are all in really high avalanche swaths where pretty much avalanches came down 10, 15 years ago and just ripped out the historic rock wall that you also see in other places on the and so when that was ripped out, they're they're kind of going, well, we either rebuild the rock wall and then watch it get ripped out again, <laughs> or we invent something that we can put in and take out. And that's yeah. hence the log look in quite a few places. Yeah, that makes, makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. It's very practical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm sure in the long run, cheaper. Oh, yeah. yeah. To rebuild the wall yeah. every single year. So at this point in the year, obviously lower elevations are probably melting out, melted out a little easier. So if one wanted to go from the east side to the west side, obviously we've had to do that because yeah. <laughs> we had a flat tire, but is that road pretty traversable? Getting You're around talking the about park? the south end around Ryan's yeah. Pass. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. That stays open all year long, but it takes plowing. And, you know, I want to say once every couple years, Kind of near the, between the Goat Lake and Essex, there has been a huge avalanche come down that actually gets on the road and they'll have to close the road for like two days to, uh-huh. to get Plow out. it all out. Yeah. yeah. But it's basically the winter route over and back. Sure. Yeah. Sort of like when we were in Rocky Mountain, a very similar situation when we were in Grand Lake and having to go to Estes Park a and long having to drive. Long there. drive. <laughs> long <laughs> drive. That's a three hour yeah. one. So yeah. yeah. One way. One way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. We were just talking about the road to many glacier. Have they completed the work on that road now? Yes. <laughs> With one little exception. <laughs> 
<laughs> As is always the case with sure. roads here. That road actually, there's places on the road where the land is shifting underneath and it's all based on water. So there's a couple of those places rather than repaving, they've left them as gravel to just wait to see how their work is going to settle out. And then, I mean, the goal is eventually to get those all paved. But for right now, there will be some gravel pieces on it still this summer. We were saying how that wasn't what we expected by any means, but it wasn't as bad either, um, even with the like the wait times, like because that was something we had heard. I think from you and from a lot of other people mm-hmm. like, oh, be prepared to wait. You know, you could wait there a half hour. People in our at the campsite yeah. who yeah. were like, we waited in it for an hour and a half. We ended up hitting it in a sweet spot where we didn't have to on our way in or nice. out. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. So you guys just had luck with you. We did. We had that <laughs> right. I guess so. Beginner's glacier luck there. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So after we were hiking together, you were telling us that later you were going to do like the long epic hike to the mini glacier lodge and stay a few nights and then hike all the way back. Did you do that? We did. We did. How was was that? uh, Oh, it was wonderful. So what was your path? Where did you go on that on that journey? We started the same place we started with you guys when we did Sai Bend Uh or Sai Pass. Um, So we started at Sai Bend and then we went up two and a half miles to the junction where we turned off, you know, with you to go up Sai Pass and we went left there. Okay. Okay. Went up over Pigan Pass and then dropped down. So where we were going, you guys did the High Line. We were on just the opposite side of the garden wall, dropping into Many Glacier. Okay. And, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And what's really cool is Pegan Pass is a pretty popular hike, but the section from Pegan down to um, like Grinnell Lake, you'll maybe see three or four people and that's it. So <laughs> wow. that was, that was really nice. And then the second day in many, then we went and hiked to Cracker Lake, which is one of the other lakes that is, not as crowded as going to Grinnell or Iceberg or any of the others. So that was really fun. And then the last day was hiking out over Swift Current Pass. Right. Yeah. It was a great trip. Yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. That is great. That's one you guys would like because it's, you know, you get there and you stay in yeah. a hotel or a cabin. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of nice. Yeah. So you, so that's just like, those are when you're hiking in and out. It's just a it's a day hike basically to those locations. Like you're not camping in between. All day Ooh, hiking. That's yeah. great. Oh, that's that awesome. Does sound great. Yeah. How was hiking to Cracker Lake? We didn't get to do that, but was somebody? It was recommended to us by Park Ranger, but we didn't get to. Cracker is beautiful. It's one of those really turquoisey lakes, so it's really pretty. Like I said, it's got fewer people, and when you get actually get up into the lake basin, the lake is pretty much surrounded by huge chunks of meadow so if you hit it right you got the wildflowers in the lake which is pretty cool and then um my complaint about it the bad part is the first two miles it's a shared trail with the horse concession so it's frequently muddy hacked up and a lot of horse poop so once you're pretty sure you told us that when we were there because we had (laughs) 
we were like, yeah, I think we're going to do that. Like something at many <laughs> glacier. We're definitely going to hike out to Grinnell An iceberg. I think at the time there was a bear warning that was like pretty like uh, prevalent, like every day, like we had kept checking. We were just so exhausted after the Grinnell hike because we had done the high line the day before. So we just right. kind of like, we're only able to accomplish one thing because our bodies just shut us down. <laughs> well, come on guys, you yeah. stack up like 15 miles, 15 miles, 15 miles day after day. Yeah. 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 It'll, it'll, it'll to you. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We were and laughing then, yeah. about how when we were we were like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do a week in glacier. Like not once did either of us ever bring up like, yeah, like when should we put a rest day? <laughs> never <laughs> once. No hard. I never came up. Hike nothing. early and often. Hike early and often. And no breaks. And no breaks. <laughs> right. And right. um what was funny was when we did the High Line, and I think I think we told you this because you had mentioned you were like, if you do that Grinnell Overlook, you better be prepared because that is a tough, <laughs> steep incline. Just be ready. And then we ended up making a trail friend on the High Line and she was going to do that. And we were like, OK, I guess we can do it. And then that was the hardest 0.8 mile <laughs> of my life. We would just have to like walk 15 feet and then stop. Yeah, and then walk another fifteen. It was feet aggressive. And stop. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. it took us a long time. Yeah, it's <laughs> while we super were on steep, it. and then parts of it had that I call it marbles, and yeah, it's, it's where like the, scree almost. Yeah, yeah, on the trail, and so you kind of have to be pretty careful on every single step that you take that you've got mm-hmm. it solid, so you don't kind of do a little slip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, how often would you say? you know, during the season, like the very hikeable season, are you getting out into the park? You're obviously very local, but you're not like right against the park or, you know, so how often would you say, like, is it like a once a week thing that you're going in Becky? Or is it as often as you can? Like, you know, especially with writing too. And like, how does that sort of factor in and making adjustments to what you've written already and and getting in when you need to, and then also just getting in to get in? Yeah. Well, that's a tough question. <laughs> Sorry, it was a multifaceted question. There, uh, yeah. So. <laughs> well, it's it's changed so much in the last decade because it used to be that before, say, 10 years ago, it used to be that I'd be in the park two, three days a week, at least, if not in there backpacking for five days at a time or four days or a week or something like that. And it was just, that's what we did in the summer. But several things have changed. And one is the number of people that has altered a little bit how we approach just for fun hiking and also for work for me, um, getting in there and updating stuff. The other complication as well as you guys are real familiar with is the ticketing system that's now in for going to the Sun Road. Because we used to, you know, we'd like wake up and go, hey, weather looks really good. What are you doing? Let's go, you know, climb whatever peak or, you know, let's go hike whatever trail. And we kind of can't do that anymore. (laughs) It does take some planning ahead. So beginning of the summer, like we're picking up tickets, not knowing if we're going to, we're going to try and use them, but it's possible that if it's like real smoky from fires or pouring rain or something like that, we might not use them. Yeah. I know you said that we had just missed the fires that when we were out there, we just missed all that smoke. We'd gotten it when we were in Yellowstone and, and Teton. But yeah, we when we talked to um, Jason Fry, we were talking about ticketing systems and what he thought of those, especially because, you know, he he writes about 
Smokies and also Shenandoah, and Shenandoah just instituted the ticketing system for Old Rag, Old Rag and, yeah. which we've done before, which is a great hike, which is an, mm-hmm. one of my favorite. I feel like that I've done. You know, he was saying, you know, he thinks it's beneficial in some ways. We had also mentioned you and just and you know, being someone that lives near the park that, you know, is used to being in the park as often. It's amazing that MPS hasn't developed some sort of concession for locals like in some way to circumnavigate that or be able to purchase like a season pass that just allows you to kind of access that road. Because obviously, you know, there are ways around it. But if you want to go in and not have to get up at, you know, four, four in, the o'clock morning, in the morning, yeah, yeah. Which we did, you know, which is another reason our bodies shut down when we were out there. But <laughs> like, how do you feel? Like we talked a little bit about it when we were out there. So having gone through a full season, right? Because last year was the first year that it was fully instituted. Yeah, I was kind of like piloted the year before for a limited amount of time. So how do you feel now like a year in? Do you know if there's any sort of like movement that'll help the locals around the park be able to access a little bit more? Or is that something that's sort of just like a pipe dream that I'm dreaming up for you right now that I hope is possible? <laughs> I kind of think it's a pipe dream. Great idea, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you immediately run into the issues of how many miles out is a local. You know, that starts to create issues. But, you know, I'm in actually in favor of the ticketing system, even though it has severely changed my use of the park, Mm -hmm. just because in the last 10 years, or maybe even a little bit more, we've seen trails like you guys did Hidden Lake Overlook. Mm -hmm. And you know how you hike up the boardwalk and you get to the top of the boardwalk where it ends and suddenly there's this giant wide trail. That trail used to be three feet wide and it's gotten now it's the size of a car and that's because of just scads and scads of people walking it not staying on the trail walking on the edges to get around mud and that's part of what happens when you get overuse is your your trails especially through meadows get affected big time yeah same thing has happened on avalanche only you've got trees there and big rocks (laughs) <laughs> right. And a lot Giving of expo- it in, in places, a lot of exposed yeah. routes now, which I'm sure are we, something we also were, you know, just talking about when we had recorded that episode and just thinking about that must just be so worn down. I mean, that yeah. and Hidden Lake, I feel like were probably the two most crowded trails that we saw when we were there. And we couldn't yeah. even go past the overlook at Hidden Lake because of the bears um, at the lake oh, at the right. time that we were there. I mean, still an incredible view from the overlook, like wouldn't trade that for anything. But we did Hidden Lake right before we uh, met you and Cynthia to do Sayu Pass. Right. Right. I remember that. Pretty amazing that you guys tacked on three miles before we did a 11 mile hike. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Are you sensing a theme? It's <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pack it in when you can. Yep. So we've read so many articles or seen so many articles, especially in the last two years, about how explosive the growth and use of the parks has been, especially with the pandemic. You know, we talked a lot through the process of the pandemic because that was originally our intent was to get out there that summer. You were very wise to say, don't come right now <laughs> um, because you're going to miss so much because you can't access so much of it at the moment because it was closed because the Blackfeet Reservation was closed, which, you know, obviously was important, especially to protect elders to, you know, to do what they needed to do to protect their community. It's interesting to have been there this past summer and see it crowded. So I can only imagine what it was like before 
the ticketing went into place because it had to have been just mania. Yes, it was. And in, in some places on going to the sun road, people would just drive over onto the sides, park half in a ditch or into half in a meadow or, you know, like, Oh, I can fit my car here. No thought at all to what's there that, (laughs) that they're car is destroying that's a use problem that happens definitely with overuse you know when you've got too many people in a in an area and then plus it was getting downright dangerous if an ambulance had to get up that road to logan pass for somebody it wasn't going to happen at certain times because it was so crowded you sent us your essay that you wrote. First of all, I love reading your writing because I can see all of the care that you put into the way you describe things. I really love how you describe like some parts as like steep grunts. And then, like, you know, like, because I'm like, that's a perfect way to describe that. Like it is. It's like you got to heave yourself up. But I'm curious, do you want to tell us a little bit about why you wrote this essay and uh, where this essay is going to be published? It's um, actually already been published in the Whitefish Review. And then a local magazine picked it up and published it again after that. I wrote it because there's... <laughs> Well, let me back up a second. You know, with my guidebook, people make comments like on Amazon and whatever. And um, one of the comments I've gotten, not a lot, but from like one or two people is, quit talking about climate change and glaciers melting because all we need is the directions to how to do the trails. And to me, it's like, "Mm, sorry, this is all connected. And that's one of the things that I've been trying to do more and more with the guidebook is trying to give people a feel for the past and the present and the future in the park. And glaciers melting is a huge part of that. And unfortunately, when I write guidebooks, they got to be so just compact and concise. Yeah. And so this essay was the opposite. I wanted to emotionally express what it has felt like to be in that park for, say, the last 30 years and I've been in it longer, but lived here for 30 years. To be in that park, watching those glaciers melt, hiking to the same glaciers over and over and over, and what it feels like to watch them change so radically. So that's why I wrote the essay. And (laughs) the kind of funny part of it was... I had to read it aloud to about 200 people at a Whitefish Review event, and uh, I got to about the last paragraph, and then I'm just eh, blubbering, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was really hard to get through <laughs> because it, it, you know, it was it was me saying goodbye to the glaciers, and they've been such a huge part of my life. First of all, I don't think we have enough glacier education. I think we hear the word glacier in school when it is connected to the word iceberg and like, Mm. and that's really kind of our only touch point on it. Or at least that was that way when I was in school, you know, in my experience working in education systems, I haven't seen a whole lot more beyond that than what I was taught between, you know, glaciers and icebergs. But glaciers are such a gigantic resource for so many communities because they provide water because constantly, like for years and years and years, they provide water for a community. There's so much life 
that's literally had because glaciers exist. Definitely. Dusty, you're so right there because one of the things people don't understand about glaciers is that they produce water year round. And the annual snow that we get here in Glacier produces water pretty much till about August and then it's dried up. And so a lot of those streams, those high streams that we were walking through on um, the Sai Pass Trail or that you walked through on the Highline Trail, those many of them are just dry by the end of the summer. Yeah. So if you think about that, the glaciers still producing the water that's going down to the Missouri River when the snowmelt is not producing any water to go down there. So it is an effect downstream. And in addition, of course, you got all the wildlife that's attached to those glaciers, things like ptarmigan. You know, that's a bird, a ground bird that has to be in a pretty cool place. So they hang out on the glaciers and we've seen them move up higher and higher. We used to see them all the time walking the Hidden Lake boardwalk, you know, the boardwalk heading up. They'd come skittering out from, you know, with their chicks from under the boardwalk. And now we don't see them there anymore. They've now gone up into the pocket where Clements Glacier used to be. It's no longer a glacier, but at least it has permanent snow still. And so that's where they live. And so we're watching this wildlife change dramatically as these glaciers are receding and the whole climate is changing here. You were just saying like it's a real problem for downstream when it comes to glaciers and whether they're here or not. And I mean, isn't that sort of like the theme of <laughs> the climate change and, you know, the environmental movement? You know, I feel like so much of our policy, so much of how we move through the world is incredibly short-sighted. And it doesn't factor into the fact that things that are much bigger than us that we can't comprehend on a scale that are so massive, like are slowly finding themselves no longer there. Uh, and that's going to become a real issue for communities for so much of the world. You take a look at the West and the drought that's there, that's just pummeling them, where Lake Mead and Lake Powell are basically empty. And you think about all of that and how that is going to drastically affects migration probably in the country in the coming decades, you know, and, and what's going to happen there and how that's going to just impact so much. And I feel like that's the thing. It's like, yeah, it's a glacier. Yeah, maybe just tell us how to get to the trails. But that view is so short-sighted in that <laughs> it's like, well, you might not be able to get to these trails because there might not be a community here because there may not be water here eventually down the road. So maybe Actually, we should be talking about the glaciers and why they're important. There's obviously a lot of people that are very aware that awareness needs to transition into some sort of action because we are finding ourselves in more and more dire straits. Yeah. And, you know, I think, <laughs> at least for me, one of the things that I've been trying to wrap my head around, and it's really hard, is that, you know, we go to these national parks, like I go into Glacier and it takes a car to get to many of the places in there. And so what am I doing? I am contributing carbon <laughs> to yes. that ecosystem as I'm going in there. And yes, we do have shuttles. They've kind of been offline sort of for uh, the last two years, but they are coming back, but they don't go everywhere. 
that part is a little difficult. And then you look at, okay, I could get an electric car. Well, we don't have the EV stations yet in this area or in the parks, really. A couple of parks are, are really starting to make headway, but many are not yet. So there's a whole infrastructure around trying to change that carbon use behavior that's tough. And it, it's really hard because, you know, so many places I go, no, you can't take public transportation because there isn't, you know, I'm driving 30 miles on a dirt forest service road to get to a trailhead, things like that. So it's, um, that's of concern. That's something also that came up with Jason Fry about wanting mm-hmm. to get an electric vehicle, but the range on it not being that far. And he's, I think it was like 200 and some odd miles was the range on the cars they were looking at. And he's like, I'm about this far from from Great Smokies. He's like, but there aren't charging stations in the Great Smokies. And like, how do we sort of rectify that? And how do we start to be solution focused about where we're going to be able to bridge gaps and create this future that is available to so many people when right now it doesn't seem like it is. I mean, you're talking to the Doom Patrol over here. So (laughs) I mean... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, welcome to my dark, ne- my dark corner here That's all the time. So Mike is going to do a spinoff and have his own podcast called um, what? Is, well, my dark corner. My dark. My dark. I thought it was welcome to my darkness. Oh, welcome to my dark. Welcome to my darkness. I like that. And it's just going to be a different guest every week, and mm-hmm. they're going to be like, "Let's talk about this really sad mm, yeah. thing." Like, let's just, you know. Yeah. But it's all very true. I mean, we were sweating driving through Montana just trying to make sure we passed places where we could get gas. No matter where the tank was, filled up every time we passed a gas station because we were like, we can't afford to risk not putting gas in right now because who knows how long it will be until we see another gas station. Gas, which has been like the, you know, the primary resource for cars for so long is also still limited in its way. And not just in Montana, in a lot of the states in that area of the country. Especially the parks around here, like Glacier, no gas inside. So, you know, you got to make sure you gas up at those perimeter towns before you even enter the park. Mothers like Yellowstone does have some gas stations um, inside, but not all parks do. No, we experienced it for the first time in Shenandoah. And I was even amazed by that because I didn't think that that would be the case. But I guess when you have a park that, especially if you're on like a skyline drive like that, where you could drive it from start to finish, you know, and it's long, that makes sense. It's long and it has very few entrances. Like there's just like one at the top, one in the middle, and then one at the end. And it's like miles and miles between. So I, I see why they wanted to put gas there. I guess I mean, even the, you know, the Ranger vehicles need gas. So that's probably why, (laughs) you know, they're like, well, let's make some more money off of this by making, you know, offering it to public use as well. So are there things you're looking forward to this summer in Glacier? Yes, absolutely. So Cynthia and I got reservations at Granite Park Chalet for two nights. Oh, Uh, yes. So I'm so excited about that one. Um, It's been, golly, I want to say it's been at least 10 years since I've stayed up there overnight. Hiked through there a lot. But yeah, so that'll be really fun. Uh, We put in for a five-day backpacking trip, but you know, uh, I'm not crossing fingers that we'll get it. I mean, I'm not holding my breath. It's just the number of people putting in for backpacking permits has skyrocketed here. And it's just sure luck that you get one. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah, and, it's like lottery system, right? Well, it is if you get your reservation request in on the first day, you're in the lottery. Okay. And then after anything after that is just dealt with later in the pile, at, you know, as it comes in after the fact. So we'll see. <laughs> We've been getting a lot of messages direct messages uh, on Instagram and on our social media regarding marmots because we got to see so many of them and they're the cutest little things. Right. But so many people are like, I went to Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, We've heard this from at least three people. I I went to Rocky Mountain National Park and like I was, they said I could see marmots and there were no, I couldn't see any of them. We're like, because well, they're we're standing so- right outside the car. <laughs> <laughs> they need to go hiking. Yeah. They need, right. Right. You got to get it right. I know. I know. Like, people were like, oh, my God, those marmot. And I was like, yes. I was like, they're very close. I was like, no, we did not feed them. Oh, wait. Okay. This was, we had to like very carefully talk to this person on Instagram about this, but we had posted that video of one of the mountain goats up at Logan Pass. She was like, oh, I had never, I want, I'm going to go there this summer and I really want to see one and pet one. Oh. And we were like, <laughs> hey, so guess what? Can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Can't pet, can't pet oh, the mountain goats. I was like, so it's not a good idea to ever pet wildlife at all in any for any reason. <laughs> so, right. And I told her on an, in a direct message about the story about like, well, you know, we were very close to them when we were eating lunch at Logan Pass. And then one got close. So we had to move, you know, when we're posting these clips of animals, people are like, oh, yeah, like we all can become like Snow White and like just pet all of them. And like, you know, they just come to us as we stand there. And I'm like, that's not how it works. Like we walked into their neighborhood, like that's their yeah. home. And I, you, know, you got to play by their rules. Yeah. And not only that, but it's like, um, I think you're so right about Snow White movies <laughs> skewing our viewpoint uh, on that. But people just are, not all people, but some are just totally unaware of wildlife is wild. And that's why it's called wildlife. Um, yeah. And, you know, there are incidents of people trying to get too close to mountain goats, for instance. And you saw those horns. Those things are sharp. You can yeah. get injured from <laughs> very sharp. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And not good to get in. You can also get bit by any of those little guys, those marmots. Sure. Although those marmots are hilarious. They I think are. I, I maybe put on one of your Instagram things that I had uh, hiking the Highline one year, ran into two marmots that were standing up boxing each other. It was hilarious. <laughs> yes, we saw that. Oh my yeah. oh, God. That is so funny. Yeah. Entertainment on the trail. Yeah. Certainly. That's, you know. The marmots, I could imagine, are like the jesters of the animal kingdom. (laughs) Obviously, you just got back from a pretty decently long trip to other national parks. And you've also written the guidebook for the 63 national parks. So when you're traveling to another national park, obviously living, you know, with a home base right there, you know, being right at the doorstep of the glacier, like how is that experience different from you when you go to a new park? And what do you really look for when you're there or look to do? Like what's your highest priority? And like, what do you 
where do you research or where do you find your information or, you know, what's the thing that kind of drives you when you're, you're headed to one of those spaces that aren't Glacier? My priority is always, always hiking. So, you know, it's like, first, I got to find all those trails I want to (laughs) do. And the second priority for me is camping. So I usually have to start planning park trips if I want to camp at least six months in advance, because if you can get reservations, that makes the camping a little bit easier, where you can do a huge drive to get to the park, pull in at seven o'clock at night, and your campsite is available. It's there. Otherwise, you know, if you're showing up peak season somewhere, you, you have the problem of competing for sites, and you really need to be there early in the day to get one. So that's that's kind of my priority when I approach a park. You know, I do have a tiny advantage being a moon travel guide writer that I have connections with all kinds of other moon travel guide writers. So um, like, you know, I use their books and we all book swap with each other. And that's who I go to for some help on planning. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, all the moon books that we have had, you know, a lot of them are yours. <laughs> but, um, you know, looking through even Jenna's and Jason's and Hillary's, you know, we've been to at least almost all of those spaces for the books that we've been sent, minus Death Valley. Minus Death Valley. But yeah. it, it is, you know, I do feel like, yeah, those are such great sources of information. And yeah, that makes sense that you would utilize that because why not? <laughs> right. You're peers. So that's awesome. Yeah that you're able to, you know, take that resource and just like, you know, use it to its fullest and um, to be able to swap is really cool too. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. We used, you know, in Death Valley and Joshua Tree this winter, we used Jenna's books, both of them. And it was really funny because there was six of us, you know, the book got passed, the book got destroyed because everybody was just, well, I want to see what it says. <laughs> and then we'd be discussing, you know, every night, well, what are we going to hike tomorrow? What do we want to do? And, and somebody would say, well, what does Jenna say? <laughs> so I, think we'd always, I think we did that with you all we the did time. That. We like, well, what does, what does Becky, Becky say <laughs> about this? And then we'd be like, oh, okay, all right, great. Yeah. And we'll do that. Right. And, yeah. It's really great. It's really great. It's like, it's like, I mean, it's like having your advice, like right there at all, at all times, you know, are you going to some more parks soon? Um, actually, yeah. In May, I'm uh, flying with my sis and her husband out to Chicago for a cultural time. So, you know, pick up a couple shows and go to museums and stuff. Yes. I'm going to see six. (gasps) Yes. Have you seen it? No, it's on no. our list. It's, on our, it's, oh, so, it's selling so well. It's selling so well. And so, yeah, we're excited to see it soon. Okay. That's my niece is doing the lights for the Broadway show touring that'll be in Chicago. And that's why we're going. Oh, cool. Amazing. That's awesome. Wait, yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. So we're really excited about doing that. And then, oh, we were talking national parks, not Chicago. Uh, <laughs> Um, then we're headed to where, what are we doing? Indiana Dunes and Cuyahoga Valley. Nice. And oh, amazing. Out. Have yeah. you been yeah. to those before? No. Oh, no. So well, that'll be really fun to pick yeah. up new ones there. Yes. And definitely do the, um, the state park, the Indiana Dunes state park as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Indian, the state park is inside of the national park territory. Yes. The state park has some, I mean, they're definitely trails. But the state park has the like kind of the most proper feeling trails. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely good. hiking over dunes, but also hiking in marsh, also hiking on boardwalk. Yeah. Oh my god, it's amazing. Yeah, you'll have okay. a blast. We, I, yeah, that was our first park on our big trip, so that was like a real nice, like ease into it. But we got to see. I don't know. It was just a cool mix between like having gone to Great Sand Dunes and having been to like foresty parks. It really is that sort of like enmeshing of those two sort of landscapes together. So it's really neat. Um, to be able to experience it like that. And then Cuyahoga Valley is like the greenest place I've ever seen ever. Like there, it's just, I don't know, the color green that that place yeah. is, is just really specific to that place. Very cool. Because yeah. green is absent from my life in winter here. It's sure. really, you know, it's pretty much, even though we have lots of trees, it's pretty much a black and white world with snow all over the place. So. You're going to get <laughs> so much yeah. green in Cuyahoga it. Valley. Yeah. There's yeah. so many, and there's a, we did Cuyahoga can kind of be like a choose your own adventure sort of situation. Sort of. It's big. It's not, it's like not a ton of the trails that are connected, yeah. but it's, they have one kind of trail that la- that goes through the center of everything, but they all, the Buckeye trail, which is a trail that goes around the state, basically all the way around the state of Ohio runs through Cuyahoga Valley. So part of, I would definitely get on the Buckeye trail while you're yeah. we there. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know it went through oh, the whole state. That's really cool. Yeah. They have, a whole like, Buckeye Trail Association yeah. just for upkeep oh. for that trail. Yep. I'm writing that down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like Very they cool. have they have little like uh some little shops and stuff there that they I think they sell don't they sell buckeyes? Yeah, right? yeah. Sell, Depends like, on uh, I forget candies. what part of the, the like if there's a store near one of the generals. Uh, yeah, near one of the, the general center. store. Yeah. But it's Cuyahoga is a park where it feels like one of those parks where the community is very much so enmeshed in it. Like you're driving in a neighborhood and then all of a sudden you're in the park. Like it's one yeah. of those parks where it's very strange because there doesn't seem to, the border is very fluid. And there um, seem to still be homes yeah, there. Yeah. People still live there. So yeah, sort of like how Shenandoah, while no one necessarily is living within the park, the communities are like right on the edge of it. So right. those parks are so very different from the Western parks that we were yeah. in the summer. So yeah, you'll have a blast with those too. You Just very different. Them. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I know. And then maybe some potential summer ventures next summer out mm-hmm. east. Yeah, actually, what I'm looking at next year is probably February is hitting Florida. Okay. And I have air miles that need to get used. So I'm going to use them. Yeah. <laughs> use them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, you know, do Everglades, Biscayne, Dry Tortugas, and then go down to Virgin Island, U.S. Virgin Island National uh, Park. Nice. And, right. yeah. you know, I got to, it's been several years since I've had some winter beach time. That could be kind of fun. Oh, yeah. And, um, and then in spring, I think my sis and I are talking about heading out and kind of road tripping. There's a whole crunch of parks like Congaree, Great Smokies, New River Gorge, Shenandoah, and up to Acadia. We'll put Acadia last so it gets, you know, well, later. Yeah. We'll yeah. keep each other and yeah. updated because we want to yes. see you in Acadia. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I yeah. want to yeah. hike with you guys there. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's one of those places where like there's so many trails and it, tra- it the the trails in Acadia are endless. Like and it's a choose your own adventure type of thing. You're you're gonna look at the map and you're gonna say like I'm gonna start here, then I'm gonna do this, and I'm going to here. And then if you're like okay, I'm tired, then you can find a shorter way back to where you wanted to 
go back to, you know, but we have now we've been there twice. So now we have all we're like, oh, next time we want to <laughs> go to here. But this way, yeah. instead of this oh. way and this way that we yeah. did before, we're going to go this other way. Like we went we did this really, really epic loop the last time we were there. That was just like it was spectacular every moment of it. I think like Mike picked it out and I and it was like it was like the highlight of every like every leg was the highlight of that section and it was it was amazing yeah that's a great park to just be able to like dream big because yeah. even if you decide that you alter your plans it's easy to it's you know. so easy to and you can like go like oh actually I'm done with incline today but I can sort of still get here this other way and not do as much incline you know what I mean like there's so many options always yeah yeah, something like Glacier doesn't have that sort of adaptability. <laughs> no, you're on something for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's going to be tough <laughs> the entire yeah. way. But that's kind of the, you know, that I feel like bringing it back to Glacier, I feel like that is along with the scenery, which is so incredibly epic, the hiking, like how could you not put that, if you're a hiker, how could you not put Glacier on your list of parks to see? Because the hiking is unparalleled. Like I, you know, I feel like of the parks we were in this summer, nothing comes close for me, like to what we did in Glacier hiking wise. I mean, Tetons was was, th- was there. If we had spent more time, it might have been a closer neck and neck battle. But I don't know, the, the scenery paired with the, just like the the effort and the work you had to put in, see what you you wanted to see was such a good payoff in the end. And I feel like that's sort of what Glacier served me anyway in my time there. I don't know if you would agree, but well, I was I was just gonna say that um hiking that day hiking with you and Cynthia was like the probably the greatest day of hiking ever. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> It was. It's true. It's so true. We hit that trail just right because the wildflowers were crazy. Yeah. The weather was great. And, you know, wasn't a lot of people on the trail. Really nice. No. And the only, you know, little tough issue is we were a little bit early in the season for that trail. So coming down the Bering Creek side, we had all those steep snow fields to kind of figure out how, how best to how safely <laughs> get around them. Right. And um but that other was than such that, a fun stuff. challenge to navigate. Yeah. That was really oh. fun. We were so glad we were like, well, Cynthia was like, you're this is where Becky, like, this is where she's gonna lead the troops to where we need to be because, like, she's so good at this. I was like, oh, I'm so glad because I wouldn't know what to do at all here. So. And now we both, we both since have crampons. We now. have crampons oh. now. Yes. We're good. Hey. Mike bought both of us crampons for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Oh, yay. I mean, crampons that just... from Krampus. Crampons oh, nice. from Krampus. That's right. Nice. That's right. the Grinch. The Grinch brought us. Um, Perfect. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that just opens, you know, that just opens the safety world for what you can do. Sure. Because, you know, speaking of Glacier, people assume that the biggest um, death in the park is, you know, getting killed by grizzly bears. Well, that doesn't happen. Um, It did happen more frequently 30, 40 years ago, but that was all garbage related and, you know, can they condition those bears now to stay away f- out of the garbage and away from human food and all the kinds of stuff like that. So actually our biggest death in Glacier, it's death numbers, it's from falling, falling on steep snow fields and, you know, not having... <laughs> We or just, falling we, off steep rocks. Yeah, we were just talking about this when 
we were talking about the Grinnell episode because that was not fully thought out. The sign was up to not hike past it. And we were both like, no, we're good. As like other people just kept on moving. Like, yeah. Other, so, so there was a sign that says like, this is the stopping point on this trail now because like it, there, there's snow that's not melted and you can fall through it. And so we turned around and walked back. And But there are people who just were like, no, I'm going to walk past the sign and keep going. And we were like, maybe not today. Maybe like after the sign is taken down, then then maybe so, you know, but it's like your risk is so much higher right now to like hurt yourself. Definitely. It's like those signs are there for a reason. And especially with snow and the way it melts out at the end of a season, it's you know, it you can fall through and or slide down and be out of control before you know it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that moment when we were hiking and we were like, okay, so we shouldn't go across this way because if somebody falls, they're, they're going to slide. They're going to gain momentum. traction yep. and gain momentum, and that's not going to be great. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that will be a bad day. <laughs> a bad day. Bad day. A how. bad day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. We could sit here and talk to you for hours and hours. <laughs> and um, generally speaking, we probably should just do this even when we're not recording things more often. Just because to say hi. Just, just to catch up. So just to good catch up. To catch up. It was really hi. like, honestly, this was the highlight of my week was like, I will see Becky at the end of the week. Which is great. <laughs> oh, you guys are too kind. <laughs> <laughs> but really, no, um, seriously. So, um, as we, you know, as we usually do, um, we have a game prepared and we're curious if you'd like to play a game. Yeah, I I won't be able to do very well because I'm terrible at them. I, I listen to you guys' games and it's like, I don't even understand the directions here. <laughs> but yes, I want to play. I love it. Great. Great. Okay, so Mike, what is what is so in our Hidden Lake episode, which at this point may have aired once this one once this one airs, I mean it might have aired somewhere. There's a game that we're playing called Hidden Blank. So in that game, (laughs) you're gonna need to. It doesn't. It's not as bad as it sounds. In that game, instead of lake, you'll be filling in the blank with a rhyming word for lake. Does that make sense? Okay. So for example, um. In San Francisco or thereabouts, you may find that a small jostle of glass in your cabinet or light swinging of your chandelier was actually one of these. A hidden... Quake? That's right. There you go. You got it. (laughs) Yay! All right. So we're going to play that game, but we're going to play it with Sai Pass. And Pass will be the blank since that's what we hike together. Right. Okay. Let's give it a try. So I don't know these either. I'm also playing. Okay. After eating a large meal of baked beans and then hiking on Saihi Pass, you probably won't want to be behind Mike or Dusty because they may have this. What is Saihi? Gas. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> like it's got to be gas. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when hiking with Becky Lomax on Saihi Pass, many different landmarks and wildflowers were pointed out to us. And instead of a hike, it felt more like a sai. Ah. Mm. Uh, oh, I don't know. Instead uh, of a hike, it felt like more like we were in an educational setting and it felt more like a oh class. That's right. What is a sai class? <laughs> oh, great. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
during the pandemic, while you may have what while you may have hiked with a mask um, over your face on Saihi Pass's trails, you may have also put on a face guard, which would have been made of Saihi. Oh, I don't know. What is was it, a face guard made is of? Is it Saihi glass? What kind of glass? Saihi plexiglass. That's right. What is Saihi plexiglass? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying wow. to do the rhyme game oh, here, funny. guys. Funny. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Unfortunately, when hiking Sai Pass, trying to get out to uh, Sexton Glacier provided us with some areas that we could not travel along or trails that we could not get to. This we would call a Sai something was blocking our way. Oh, a Sai impasse? That's correct. <laughs> oh, tricky. Tricky. Mm, tricky. <laughs> okay, and I have one more. Um, and these were clues that I didn't have the time to fully write out. So I'm coming up with them on the fly. I just You're have the word. Great. You're All doing right. great. So if you were to take a marching band on the Sai Pass hike, along with drums and woodwinds, you would have instruments like tubas and saxophones and trombones, which would be Sai. Uh, would it I don't be- know. Would it be Sai brass? That's correct. Yeah. What are Sai brass yes. instruments? <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. Nice. And that's that's Sai blank. Well, that <laughs> was fun. Blank. A rhyming category. <laughs> A rhyming category. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gazeatthenationalparks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. That's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram, on our website, and in the gay shop is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey. 